Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Kale, and I'm the Connections Pastor here at Antioch, and uh, it's just such a pleasure and joy to be in the house of God this morning. Amen? Amen. I, um, every now and then, uh, sometimes I come in this room, either throughout the week or different times when no one's here, and um, it's quiet in here, it's dark, no lights are on, no one's in here, and sometimes I'll come up here and I'll stand or sit and I'll just kind of look out. And I'm like a feeler. Any feelers in the room? Sometimes I'll come up here and just have a good cry, you know? <laughs> but I'll just come up here and I'll, and I'll sit and I'll just look out. And, I, and so I was, I was doing that this past week. I was, I was up here one afternoon. No one was here. I'm looking out. It's quiet. It's dark. And I just had this thought. And the thought was that this place is far less beautiful when it's empty. We have a beautiful building. We've got a big screen. We've got lights. We've got lots of stuff. Praise God. I'm thankful for the building we have. But that's not what makes this place beautiful. You do. And I just, I, I just had to take a moment just to start there that like the church is beautiful not as a building, not as some stones or bricks, but you, right where you're at right now, you are beautiful. You matter to God. You matter to the world and culture and society. The church of God is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I just, ah, oh, I love it. I love the church. I love this church. I love this family. And I just... I just felt like there were some of you who needed to know this morning that you're part of a family. Like you're part of a family. If you've been coming here for 20 years or whatever, we haven't even been around for 20 years, but <laughs> that would be amazing if you've, been, if you've been coming here for a long time or this is like your first or second week. I just, I feel like there's some in the room because it's, it's, it's true of our hearts in general. We long for connection. We long for a place to belong. We long for a family to be a part of. And I just want you to know that you belong to the family of God. You belong to the family of God. And if you're looking for a house to live in, you can live in this house with us. <laughs> like, I'm glad that you're here. I, we usually have two services. And so typically services, we're not all like together in the same room. I know there's a lot of people out of town too, but I just was, couldn't help but sitting in worship this morning and just hearing the sound of the praises of God's people. Scripture tells us that it's like incense before the Lord. It smells good. It's pleasing to him. Singing on key, singing off key, right words, wrong words. It's beautiful. Your heart is beautiful to the Lord. And I love that you're here this morning. And I hope that you feel at home. I hope you feel the peace and the presence of God. I hope that you leave this place encouraged, not by some songs and some words, but by a God who very much sees you and loves you. We could really just respond right now because God is here. You don't need my words for the next 30 minutes, although I will give some. Like the presence of God is here. Can you feel it this morning? 
The presence of God is here. That's why we come. That's why this building is beautiful. Because the people of God gather for the presence of God to lift up praise to God. And I love it. I absolutely love it. Today, uh, we're gonna be continuing in a series called Eyes of Faith. All summer, uh, we're gonna be doing a little chapter study through Hebrews chapter 11 and commonly referred to as the faith chapter. Hebrews 11 is a beautiful discourse on the topic of faith. Everyone say faith. faith. You can turn there in your phones, <laughs> flip there in your phones or whatever, I don't know. Turn to Hebrews 11 in your phones, or if you've got a Bible or a scroll, you can take that out. <laughs> Someone please bring a scroll at some point. There's got to be one on Amazon or something. Don't search now, though. Okay, so... Depending on your translation, the chapter header in your Bible might read something like examples of faith or the triumphs of faith or simply just the word faith. My favorite though is the way the NIV lists it as faith in action. Hebrews 11, faith in action. And I love that because that's really what this chapter is all about. Not just what faith is as like a general concept or idea, but what it looks like in action, in motion, expressed in the lives of people. In all, throughout its 40 verses, 16 different men and women are mentioned by name in Hebrews 11, each commended for having lives filled and fueled by faith. And so each week throughout this series, we'll be looking at some of these amazing people. And our aim through all of this is not simply just, just to look at these portraits of faith, like you would kind of go into an art gallery and stare at a beautiful painting. That's not what our heart and our aim is. Instead, our desire is that we would all collectively open up our hearts to a deeper place that would allow God to renew, illuminate, and stir up fresh faith within us. We're not gonna walk through this hall of faith and just glance and look at some, some cool people with some who lived long ago and then keep on going. But no, we're going to come into this hall of faith and say, God, would you open up our hearts? Would you, would you give us something to take from them and to, to live it out in us today? Our prayers that are through our reflection, through our looking back, it would ultimately lead into transformation, our lives looking more like Jesus and our eyes being ever increasingly those of faith. Travis talked about this a little bit last week when he introduced us into this series, but I want to touch base on it just a little bit for a second here. This word faith, again, everyone say faith. And I want to talk about this because sadly, I think this word has largely become lost in our culture today. Out of all of the religious kind of jargon and words that we use, I, I think this word has become lost and, and gained really little to maybe no meaning or significance at all anymore. While one's faith might 
refer to his or her concept of spiritual ideas or truths. Very rarely does it actually ever show up in a change in the way of life. What we find here in Hebrews, though, is an entirely different definition. It's going to come up on the screen. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Right out of the gate, the author is clear that faith is more than a mental assent or passive agreement with a few religious ideas or truths or concepts, but rather it is something much deeper, foundational, and all-encompassing. As I was studying um, this passage this morning, I came across a, a story about a, about a missionary named John Patton from the mid-1800s. Does anyone know John Patton? Not like personally, but... <laughs> Rick knows, John Patton. The, the story goes like this. When missionary John Patton was translating the Bible for islanders in the South Sea, he was unable to find any word in their vocabulary for the word faith. He began to grow fearful of his inability to properly convey the meaning of faith in a way that people would actually understand. One day while he was in his hut translating, a native came running up the stairs into Pat's study and flopped in a chair, exhausted after a long hunting excursion. Still short of breath, he said to Patton, it is so good to stretch myself out and rest my whole weight in this chair. Can I get an amen? <laughs> I felt that way last night. It is so good to stretch out all of my weight on this couch. <laughs> it's so good to stretch myself out and rest my whole weight in this chair. In that moment, John Patton realized how he would define faith to the people he was ministering to. He wrote down these words, faith is resting your whole weight on God. Faith is resting your whole weight, not some of it, not a part of it, not like a foot or an arm. Faith is, is leaning back. It is falling into resting your whole weight on God. And this is the kind of faith we're talking about. Not just today, but all summer long. When we say the word faith, you're gonna hear it a lot this summer. This is what we're talking about. This is the kind of faith, a faith that stretches your whole life out and rests its full weight on God. A faith that lives, breathes, and moves in dependence and trust in Jesus. It is this kind of faith that we're asking God to stir afresh in our hearts. Not that we would come to learn more or just know some more truths or concepts, or though study and knowledge are great things, but our, our heart is that we would become eye, people with eyes of faith to see the divine and eternal now and live accordingly. Not just understand, but to go, that is true, therefore my life, my actions, my decisions, the things I do, have to look different. There has to be a change in the way of life. Author and theologian Eugene Peterson, I, I think expressed this desire best in his famous prayer. It's gonna come up on the screen. He prayed this, oh God, when my faith gets overladen with dust, blow it clean with the wind of your spirit. 
When my habits of obedience get stiff and rusty, anoint them with the oil of your spirit. Restore the enthusiasm of my first love for you. That's our prayer this morning. And I actually wanna start there. Um, I, I wanted this to come up on the screen because I want us to pray this prayer together. And I don't want us to just read it. I want us to really just for a moment, open up your heart to the Lord. And maybe if, if I don't know what your week's been like, if you're like, whoa, 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 I just was kind of wanting to come in here, hear a little sermon and go get some, you know, frozen Italian ice afterwards. I don't know where you're at this morning. And if you are there, that is certainly okay. You are welcome to be here. But my hope for you is that you would leave with an assurance in your heart that maybe you didn't come in with. And that assurance would be rooted and established in a God who is so good. And so whatever it looks like for you, well, actually, I do want you to do something. Put, everyone put your hand on your heart. And I just, we're gonna take a moment, just 10 seconds or something, and just sit in silence for a moment. And then I want us to read this prayer. I want you to pray this prayer to the Lord. I want you to make it your own prayer, not just something that some guy said years ago or that he prayed, but there's still power in it today when it comes and it's lifted to God out of a heart filled with faith. So just take a moment, maybe close your eyes and just breathe. Let's read this prayer to the Lord. Oh God, when my faith gets overladen with dust, blow it clean with the wind of your spirit. When my habits of obedience get stiff and rusty, anoint them with the oil of your spirit. Restore my enthusiasm of my first love for you. God, we are here this morning for you. Let it be true in our hearts today, this prayer. Come blow wind of God over our hearts. We're yours this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today we have our first portrait of faith, which is a man named Abel. Hebrews 11.4 says this, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. The full account of this is actually found back in Genesis 4. And so to get kind of a full picture and context of what's really going on, we need to go back for a moment, quite literally to the beginning, um, back to Genesis 4. It's going to be in Genesis 4, 1 through 5. Again, it'll come up on the screen. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother, Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. 
And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? Excuse me. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in there, while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. So a little background of what we see in Hebrews 4. We have two brothers, Abel and Cain, and their parents are Adam and Eve. Pretty cool because those are the first people on earth. And uh, I just had for a second, I was like, shout out to my parents in the room. I had this thought, okay. Could you imagine being like the first ever parents? Like not just like the first parents in your family or whatever, like how did they know what a baby looked like? I don't know. Is that, am I the only one who thinks this way? But I was like, how do they even know? I don't even know how to be a parent. And I had parents. We all have parents in this room. It's crazy. Anyways, just study that on your own time. I couldn't find out what. They saw a baby for the first time. Anyways, okay. It says in verse three that these brothers both brought a sacrifice, an offering to the Lord. That word used for sacrifice literally means gift. They brought a gift to the Lord. And it's actually the first time that we see this word used in all of scripture, which is kind of cool. It means that this is the first account of man bringing a gift to God. It's pretty significant. The first time man has, has brought a gift to God. Surely God had been giving gifts to man, but this time it was man bringing gifts to God. Cain was a farmer and so he brought a gift of his crops. Abel being a shepherd brought a gift of his sheep. And on the surface for a moment, everything kind of looks normal. You're probably like, I mean, we read the end, you know what happens at the end, but if we didn't, you'd be like, oh yeah, they both brought an offering to God. What's so spectacular about this? Because this process of making a sacrifice or giving an offering to the Lord would later become really a, a normal everyday part of the lives of the people of God. In fact, that same word for gift later gets used over 150 times throughout scripture. It's just a way of life. The people of God brought gifts to God. But here, there's nothing like that before. This is the first time we see man bringing a gift to God. And something interesting happens in verse five. You probably picked up on it. It says this, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Two offerings, two gifts are given to the Lord, but one is accepted, looked on with favor, and the other is rejected by God. And so you're probably asking the same question that myself, along with other countless scholars and theologians have asked for centuries is why? 
Why? I mean, God, God brought an offer, or not God, Abel and Cain both brought offerings to the Lord, and it seems kind of normal. Why would God accept one and not accept the other? And while there's quite a bit that scripture really just doesn't tell us, I, I think the answer can be found by taking a closer look at the two offerings given and specifically what they reflect about the hearts of those who gave them. The first offering is Cain's. Cain's offering is described in a little less colorful detail than Abel's, simply just as some of the fruits of the soil. This leads us to believe that Cain's offering really was nothing special or spectacular. The phrase, in the course of time, most likely refers to a passing, or culminate, a passing of time culminating at the end of a season of harvest. Now, I don't know about you, I've, that has no significance to me because I get my strawberries from fries just like anyone else. But in that day, it meant something. It, it meant that Cain's offering would have consisted largely of surplus or unused crops. They were leftovers. Cain's offering that he brought to God was what was left over, either after he used it or his family. Again, scripture doesn't fully tell us, but we know that it's at the end of a season of harvest and the offering of his harvest was given, most likely meaning that these are leftovers. Now, I don't know about you. I had leftovers last night. They were tacos and they were delicious. I enjoy a good leftover session, just like any of us in the room but when it comes to offering a gift to God, leftovers don't come close to what he is worth. Though we don't fully know his motivation or heart, I, I think the content of Cain's offering functioned like a mirror, reflecting outward the inward condition of his heart. Cain gave to the Lord, but not before taking first for himself. Uh-oh. His offering to the Lord exposed the bitter weeds of selfishness and control growing wildly in the heart, in the garden of his heart. And it showed up in his gift. It showed up in the way that he worshiped. Something my mom used to say all the time was, you spill out whatever you're filled up with. You're, you spill out whatever you're filled up with. And I think it was this feigned worship spilling out of Cain's heart as he gave his offering that God took issue with. It wasn't the fact that they were some fruits and vegetables and grain or whatever. It was an inward, something going on in his heart that had grown disconnected with his offering to the Lord. But Abel's offering was different. It's always the younger brother, right? Like it's always the younger one is whatever. Any younger brothers in the room? Yeah. I'm the youngest, so that still kind of counts. I have two older sisters. Anyways, okay. Abel's offering was different. Sometimes I just, I want to like go get coffee together. Like, let's just, we'll sit down and just have a chat. Anyways. Scripture tells us that Abel's offering was different than Cain's. His offering was fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. This simply means that Abel chose to give the absolute best of the best that he had to give. And what's interesting to note about all of this, I mean, that would be a great 
thing. Yeah, give God your best. But what's interesting is, is that this is the first gift of man to God. As far as we know from scripture, nobody told Abel what to bring to God for his offering that day. Same with Cain. There's no account in scripture of God himself asking or even commanding this offering to be given. It just simply says that over the course of time, they brought a gift. They weren't following a set of rules or duties. Those things would come later. But here, this is just their heart laid out before God. No system, no structure, no, no guidelines or just following dead end, whatever. This was just their heart being exposed to the Lord. And so Abel's lavish and costly offering to God was not something he gave out of duty or tradition. It was a pure, authentic overflow of the great faith he had stirring within his heart. Abel worshiped the Lord without reservation. He didn't look for a way to first serve himself or try to consider other options of giving the Lord that would have been maybe more responsible or culturally acceptable or make more sense in his mind. He could have given anything to the Lord and maybe God would have accepted it. He could have given anything, but by faith, he chose to give freely of the best he had, holding absolutely nothing back. It was a faith in his heart that couldn't help but come out. One of my favorite stories in scripture that paints a beautiful picture of this is found in Matthew 26. It's a pretty famous passage of scripture. It's Mary pouring out costly perfume on Jesus and anointing him with oil. It says this in Matthew 26, 6 through 13. While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar a very expensive perfume, which she poured out on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume, perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever this gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. A costly offering poured out before the Lord. The disciples saw Mary's worship as waste. They regarded her sacrifice as spoil, her faith as foolishness. But Mary's offering, her gift to the Lord, just like Abel's, was an outward expression of the inward condition of her heart, a heart filled with the assurance that Jesus was worth everything. Jesus was worth everything. So what does this mean for us? I think the, the truth is that there is a cost to faith. Faith costs something. You can sacrifice without faith, but you cannot have faith without sacrifice. You can sacrifice 
without faith. That's what Cain did. Cain brought an offering. He brought a gift, but it didn't require any faith or little to no faith at best. Cain offered to God a sacrifice without faith, but you cannot have faith, this faith we've been talking about and not let it lead you down the road of sacrifice. True faith will always cost something. It probably won't cost you the fat portions of the firstborn of your flock like it did for Abel, but it may cost you your understanding. It may cost you your control. It may cost you your opinions or your preferences. Whatever it might be, you can't have the faith of Abel while bringing the offering of Cain. And this creates a sort of holy tension in us. I mean, I've been living with it all week long because I think for most of us in this room, we want the faith, right? Like, I read Abel and I, I skipped ahead throughout the rest of Hebrews and kind of looked at some of the other people we were looking at. But you look at the life of Noah and Moses and some Abraham, some of these heroes of the faith and you go, I want that. Don't sign me up for the faith of Cain. No, I, I want a faith like Abel. I want faith in my heart. We want a faith that pleases God and honors him. We want a faith that triumphs, that trusts boldly and then rides off into the sunset. I want that to be the story of my life. I want my kids to know that I was a man and a father of faith. I want my friends to know that I was a friend filled with faith. I want my coworkers to know that I gave everything that I had to God in faith. It didn't matter what I was doing, where I was going, if I was behind a desk in a cubicle or over in, in France somewhere. I want to be known as a man of God filled with faith. We want that, don't we? I mean, that's why we're here. That's why you're still here listening to me and you haven't gone outside. We want this kind of faith in our hearts. We want great faith. The problem is that oftentimes we just don't want the situations or circumstances that require it. Our heart burns for the faith but I don't like being in a situation or circumstance where I have no other option other than to lean back and stretch my whole life and put its full weight on God. A.W. Tozer in his book, The Root of Righteousness puts it this way. Many of us Christians have become extremely skillful in arranging our lives so as to admit the truth of Christianity without being embarrassed by its implications. We arrange things so that we can get on well enough without divine aid while at the same time ostensibly seeking it. We boast in the Lord, but watch carefully what we, that we never get caught depending on him. Pseudo faith always arranges a way out in case God fails. Real faith knows only one way and gladly allows itself to be stripped of any other makeshift substitutes. Stand with me. What does your faith look like this morning? Are you settling for a pseudo faith? 
Are there places in your life where you've built and arranged self-made structures just in case God doesn't come through? Are you trusting in a God who is faithful to provide or are you trusting in the mechanisms you've put up, the plan Bs that you've been trusting in? Does the full weight of your life rest on you and your ability to manage whatever comes your way or is it resting on God? Does your heart within you this morning burn for a deeper faith? Have you maybe, even as we've been in this room this morning, maybe the Lord is bringing up to mind ways that you've been offering gifts to God out of a spirit of Cain, seeking first yourself before you give to the Lord. And I just believe the Lord is wanting to draw you in close. Remember, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. He's drawing you in close to flip that and say, no more are you gonna go in the way of Cain. Come to me in the spirit of Abel, a heart filled with faith that doesn't seek first yourself, but seeks first my kingdom and all else I will gladly and generously give to you. And so the front is gonna be open this morning and we're gonna respond. We do this every week because this is space for us to do, again, what, what Hebrews 11 says, faith lived out in action, in movement. It's expressed. And so the front is open. We'll have members of our prayer teams come up here as well. And I just wanna challenge us this morning to bring to God who we are, all that we are. Maybe that picture of laying full, stretched out in a chair and resting your whole weight on God. Maybe that spoke to you this morning. And maybe some of you just need to stretch out onto the floor and just go, God, I'm done depending on myself. I'm done with the pseudo faith. I'm done with saying I have faith, but my actions do not line up. And this morning, again, it's the kindness of God. Remember, you are beautiful to him. Your heart matters to him. He wants you this morning to come close so that he can set you free from the shackles of pseudo faith. He can set you free from the bondage of, of trying to think that you are the one who has to come through and, and make it all happen. Trust in the Lord this morning. Let your faith be stirred in him. He wants you to come in so that he can be sufficient. Pray with me. Jesus, we do just come before you this morning. We offer our lives. Lord, forgive us for the, the hesitation. Forgive us for the, the places of reservation in our hearts where we so often are, for whatever reason, scared or nervous to actually step out in faith and to lay our whole weight upon, the whole weight of our lives upon you. But this morning, we just declare no more, no more. Fill us with faith, Lord. Let the wind of your spirit blow the dust off of our faith, let it be kindled again to trust you and see you more rightly. Because the more we see you, the more that we know you, God, the more we deeply fall in love with you and the more the life we live finds its peace and rest. So we come before you this morning, Lord. Come and have your way as we bring a gift, an offering 
of ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, the front is open. There's members of our prayer team up here this morning, but let's bring to God an offering. Let's bring to him a gift of our hearts. Whatever it looks like this morning, let's meet with the Lord.